Good morning and welcome to this edition of Verse by Verse. I'm Joe Thompson, your host, and we're going to continue our study through the book of Luke this morning and we'll be in chapter number eight. I say this morning because that's when I normally record. Of course, when you're listening, it may be midnight or wherever you are in the world. So uh, appreciate you listening. And I would ask at the beginning, um, if you are enjoying this podcast and everything that we're doing and saying, uh, share it. Give it out to people and get people on board. And we'd love to have them to come on board and listen with us and study with us through the Bible. Well, Luke chapter 8, we are, uh, we have just finished. Last Thursday, we went through the parable uh, of the two debtors, as we saw in Luke chapter 7. And now in chapter 8, I want to remind you of something that. when we introduce the Gospels, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, um, each Gospel has a theme or written from a certain perspective. I guess that's a better way to say what I want to say at this point. Luke is written from the perspective of Christ as being the perfect man. And this chapter, I mean, If there's any chapter in the Bible that is practical, humanly speaking, which I believe they all are to some degree, but this one is. I mean, this chapter lays it on the line, and we'll see that this hour. We've gone through this before when we went through Mark, but there's some things here in chapter 8 I want to point out that Jesus makes more clear. Look in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse number 1. And it came to pass after... um, after a while that he went throughout every city and village preaching, now notice this, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And that's what he's presenting to the Jewish people, to the nation Israel, the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, but now notice who else is with him, not just the twelve. Verse 2, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits Uh, and infirmities and he names them here in verse 2 Mary called Magdalene we talked about her earlier out of whom went seven devils Uh, and Joanna the wife of Cusa Herod's steward now evidently um, she I, 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 I can't say whether she was Jew or Gentile uh, Herod being a, Ro- a, a Roman ruler, uh, she could have been a Jew. Of course, you know they, they weren't you know, were enslaved. I guess you could say. So I'm not really sure, but I mean these were people that were pretty high up, or new people that were pretty high up. Uh, and Susanna and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. What I want to point out here in this verse is simply this. Women played a very important role in the ministry of Jesus. And I think we need to point that out. Now, in the church today, there are only two offices that a woman cannot hold. Uh, because Timothy, or Paul told Timothy, he laid out some clear guidelines about the office of pastor and the office of a deacon. And in both instances, in 1 Timothy 3, you can read those verses for yourself. In both instances, the pastor and the deacon have to be the husband of one wife. And 
Last time I checked, it's hard to be the husband of one wife if you are a woman. Now, I cannot understand, and I have yet uh, to have someone explain to me clearly. For example, um, I know some people in Pentecostal churches, and you know, if you have any uh, dealings with Pentecostal churches, if you are associated with them in any way, or you know someone who is, you know that in, there are cases where women are pastors of Pentecostal churches. And I have asked them specifically, can you please, I'm open, okay, I'm open to suggestions. If you can explain to me how that, you know, a church can ordain a woman as a pastor, um, when Paul is so very clear about that office in 1 Timothy 3, that they are to be the husbands of one wife, um, and I know one specifically, and I won't call her name, and I won't call the church that, you know, she's associated with, but I asked her directly one time, I said, okay, can you just explain to me? I'm not trying to be nitpicky. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, I'm, I'm seeking information. Can you help me understand why your church ordained you as a minister when Paul is so very clear about this issue? And her only answer to me was, well, that's just what we believe. Well, okay, the problem with that is, if you want to say, well, that's what I believe, you have to then ask yourself the question, is what you believe uh, in line with what the Word of God teaches. Now, I am not suggesting, and I want to make this very clear, I am not suggesting that a woman cannot serve God. Okay? I, and In fact, you know, I, 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 I go back to what I said earlier. There are only two offices that a woman cannot hold in the New Testament church. But there are hundreds of other is, uh, uh, areas where a woman can minister effectively for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and that's not what this podcast is about today, although if you have questions about it, feel free to put them in the comments section, and I'll try to answer those. But um, I'll just say this, and then we'll move on to verse 4. I do believe, now having said what I just said, I do believe that churches ought to consider putting a woman on staff not as a minister, not as an ordained minister, and I'm not quite sure what you would call her. I don't know exactly how you would do this, but it seems to me that there are women in the church that have needs that only women understand. Um, for example, uh, and, and I'll tell this story, we had a situation um, back, uh, well, I've known several situations where Husbands and wives have had trouble with their kids, and sometimes the wife will get upset at the husband because, you know, she may say something like this. She may say, well, you don't care. You don't care what's going on with our kid. Well, no, he does care, but the woman reacts different than the man when it comes to their kids. One day it dawned on me why. I was teaching Proverbs. I was in, I was teaching school at the time, and I was teaching, I think, 10th grade or something like that, and and, you know, I, I went over um, in Proverbs and the verse that, that talks about, you know, a foolish child is, a, a, oh, I forget how it's worded. But anyhow, it, it's heaviness to his mother. Um, 
And it dawned on me that, you know, when a child does something or when a child is hurting, it affects the mother different. Why? Because the mother actually bore the child. The mother actually, you know, the child has actually lived inside of her for a period of time. And then it dawned on me, that's the reason why. Well, you know, those kind of issues women understand and other issues as well. I, I think there needs to be some thought given to that. Now, exactly how one would go about that, I'm not exactly sure. But let's move on because that's not what this is about. Verse 4, And when much people were gathered uh, gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. Now, this parable we've gone through before, but I'm going to read it again because it's worded different, especially when he explains it. And it's this is the most, um, this is the clearest explanation of this parable that I think we have. And we're going to be looking at this here for a few minutes. A sower went out to sow the seed... And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked, notice this, it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up, sprang up with it, and choked it. And others fell on good ground, and sprang up, now same thing, but, but here's the difference, and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, notice what happens here, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now that's the, now that's the issue. Because there are some people that do not have ears to hear the word of God. So he says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples, now later on, you know, they're concerned about this. And his disciples ask him, saying, what might this parable be? They want to know. Now, this is a very good point here and a very good time to talk about asking God a question when you read something in the Bible or hear something taught or preached and you don't know what it means, ask the Lord about it. And you know what? He will gladly help you understand. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to help us understand the Word of God. He's the teacher. Well, in this case, Jesus explains in vivid detail what this parable is about. And I think it would behoove us to to really sit and think about this for just a moment. Especially those of you that have been church for, uh, you know, that have been in church for a while. Okay, uh, so let's begin reading in verse number ten because he explains it. And he said unto, um, he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others, speaking of the Jewish nation, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. So this is in fulfillment of something that was spoken in Isaiah chapter number 6 where Isaiah predicts this is going to happen. So here again is in the fulfillment of what Jesus 
uh, of what God said in the Old Testament was going to happen. Now he explains it in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Okay, how much plainer can you get? That's the seed. Every time I come on here, I am sowing seed. Every time your pastor preaches the word, if he preaches the word, and I hope he does, uh, if he doesn't, find a church where he does preach the word. That seed, <coughs> that seed of the word of God. Okay, Jesus is talking to people that would understand farming. He's using illustrations that we can understand. Farming, planting seeds. You plant a seed, you're going to get a crop, okay? So the seed is the word of God. It's taught. It's put out there. That's my job. Put out the seed. Now, he explains each one. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Okay, you got someone sitting in a service, listening to a podcast, watching a TV program. They hear the word of God, and what happens? Immediately, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. Lest they should be... uh, lest they should believe and be saved. Satan is active when the word is preached. Uh, When the word is preached, he is active. What is he out to do? He's out to steal the word out of the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. When I taught school, you know, I would pray, Lord, help us today. Guard this room. Don't let Satan come and steal the word of God out of the hearts of these children. And I would pray that here. Lord, don't let Satan steal the word out of the hearts of those who listen. Because that's what he's out to do. Lest they believe and get saved. Satan does not want you to believe on Jesus Christ. He does not want you to get saved. He does not want you to get forgiveness of sins. Because that goes against his agenda. His agenda is totally different and opposite than God's. Why? Because... You, my friend, are the battleground. You are created in the image of God. God loves you. Christ died for you. He rose from the dead for you. He wants you to be saved. And Satan will do anything and everything he can to try to prevent that. That's a fact. And that's clearly brought out here in this passage. Well, notice the second one. They on the rock are they which, when they hear... So you got people in a service like, you know, whatever, on Sunday, Wednesday, they hear the word, listen to a podcast on a Tuesday, whatever. They hear, receive the word with joy. Oh, man, they just, I mean, they just, I mean, they're great. Man, they clap, you know, they, they act like they're saved. And yes, I'm going to address that part here in just a few minutes. They're acting like they're saved. It seems like they got saved. Uh, they do all the things saved people do, say all the things saved people say, act in ways that saved people act, and it it looks like, wow, you've got people who are saved. But notice what happens. And these have no root. They have no root, no moisture, no root, which for a while believe. Wait a minute. How long? I don't know. A week, two weeks, six months. For a while believe. And in time of temptation, or fall away. So you, you get someone in a service. Man, they just receive the word of God, you know. Pastor gives invitation. They receive Christ. 
supposedly. And yes, I say supposedly. And, you know, they, they're two or three, four weeks. Uh, man, they're just doing great, man. They just, you know, they're, they're in church when the doors are open. They got a Bible and they read and they participate and they act like they're doing all the things that saved people do. But you wait till the hard times come. Wait till they get laughed at at work for their new faith, supposedly. Wait till their family starts picking on them. Wait until they lose their job. Wait until, wait until, fill in the blank. And I guarantee you they'll run. Well, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So what do they do? They go back to their old ways again. Now you may ask the question, so are you saying these people are not saved? I'll address that here in just a minute. Hold that thought. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard, same situation, they've heard, go forth and are choked with what? Cares and riches and pleasures of this life. They hear the word, but the word can't grow in their heart. Why? Because they love things, they love pleasure, they love this world more than they love God. And that's what's happened. And bring no fruit to perfection. Um, so many times I hear people say, well, you know, uh, you know, Uncle Harvey got saved uh, 20 years ago, but he's a fruitless Christian. May I say something here with all the love and compassion I can come up with? There's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Now, I know that goes against what many of you were taught. And, and I, you know, I, you know, now let me address something else. Um, well, I'm, I'm getting into some other areas here. We'll, we'll, let me finish this and we'll talk about whether or not these people were saved. And then we'll get to it, okay? Verse 15. But, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart. And that's the key right there, the heart. Honest and good heart. Having heard the word, same thing, they hear it, but their heart is honest and good. The first three were not. Keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So the question arises, are these first three people mentioned in this parable saved? And I know there's some controversy here. Uh, but I think this passage is very clear they are not. Because you've got one, obviously, who hears the word. Satan steals the word. That's obvious. Then you've got the second one. And probably the, you know, the second one is the most controversial because he receives the word. He raises his hand and does all the things that preachers say you're supposed to do when you get saved. Which, by the way, that's not getting saved. You know, if you're basing your salvation on the fact you raised your hand one time in a service, when the preacher said raise your hand, uh, getting saved is not about raising your hand. It's not about, it's not even about going forward. Oh boy, that that'll get some some you know some comments. Um, it's not about praying a prayer. Listen to me, you can sit in a service hear a gospel presentation, raise your hand, go forward, pray a prayer, pray the sinner's prayer, and die and go to hell. You say, 
How can you say that? Because of what the Bible says here about the fourth person. Their heart is honest and good. There are people who think they are saved, but are really not. Getting saved is not about all those things I talked about. Getting saved is about, A, realizing that you are a sinner. It's about admitting to God that you have broken His laws. It's about admitting to God that though you may be good, you're not good enough. I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I'm good. I'm better than the guy down the street. And you may be. You may not do some of the things that your neighbor does. But the problem with that is you're not good enough. God demands holiness. God demands perfection. God demands something that we and ourselves cannot attain. And that is why Jesus had to come and pay the price. Because that is what God accepts. God accepts the sacrifice of Jesus. And on that basis, and on that basis alone, are you saved and welcomed into heaven when you die. It has nothing to do with your works. It has nothing to do with what you do or don't do. It has to do with what... It, okay, so think of it this way. If you were to die today, and you were to stand before God, and He would say, okay, Joe Blow... Let me ask you a question. On what basis should I let you enter heaven? The correct answer is going to be on the basis of the death and resurrection of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and His shed blood and His finished work. That's the basis. Because, my friend, if it's anything other than that, it is inadequate to get to heaven. You cannot go to heaven absent to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus because His sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice. You can't do enough. And see, that's the problem. We're all sinners. We're found guilty in the courtroom of God, Romans 3. And the judge, God the Father, says, I have to sentence you to death. And He passes sentence. But Jesus walks in and says, hold everything. I'll die for that person. I'll, I'll, I'll die in his or her stead. And the judge can look at you and say, you are free to go. Why? Because he decides to let you off? No, because the death of his son, Jesus, that is what paid your sin debt. That is the basis on which God can forgive you and me. If you're saved, if you've truly trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you are forgiven, not based on anything. God just doesn't, in a grandfatherly way, say, well, you know what, I think you're a sweet grandchild, I'm going to forgive you. We're not sweet. We're sinners to the core. But God, God can forgive us based on the death of His Son, Jesus. And He approved that by raising Him from the dead. That's what getting saved is all about. It's about admitting you're a sinner. It's about in your heart trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation. For the Bible says it's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And thirdly, call upon him. And I would urge you to call upon him right now. If you've never called on Jesus to save you. For the forgiveness of sins. If you've never called on him for the forgiveness of your sins. Some of you are trying your best. And 
that's admirable, but it's not good enough. You're not going to make it. That's the point. You can't make it. And so God is saying, why are you doing all of this when it's it's so much simpler? Just trust Jesus as your personal Savior. He's the one that paid the perfect price. He's the one that paid the price that God the Father will accept. And so I would urge you to do that. And it may be that we need to end at this point because... Um, I mean, you know, this is as clear as I know. Uh, there are lots of people in churches that think they're saved, but they've been deceived into thinking they're saved because they've done this and they've done that. It's not about what you do. Verse 16, he, he ends this. He says, No man, no man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel or putteth it under a bed but setteth it on a candlestick. Why? That they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret and shall not be made manifest. Neither anything hidden that shall not be known and come abroad. Jesus is, is very, very clear. He says, Take heed therefore how ye hear for whatsoever ye hath to him shall be given. Now watch this. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. That's a very stern warning to those who think they're saved because they've performed some religious activity and they're not really saved but they're religious. You're a lost church member. You're a lost deacon. You're a lost... I mean, it's even possible to be a lost preacher. You're a lost altar boy. You're a lost this. You're a lost that. You're lost. If you're not trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation, you are bound for a devil's hell. And that's where you'll go one day without Jesus. But right now, at this moment, all that can change if you'll turn to Jesus and Christ alone for salvation. A, admit you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means putting your faith in Him. That's more than just believing the facts. You're putting your faith in Him and then call upon Him for salvation. Ask Him to save you. Tell Him you're a sinner. You say, do I have to confess all my sins? He knows them anyway, but if you want to confess them all, that's your business. Tell Him you're that sinner. And if you ask him to save you, he will do it. John 6 tells me, tells you, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. The Bible says in 1 John 5.13, These things have I written that you may know you have eternal life. You can walk away from this podcast today knowing that you're saved. You can go to the operating room, get under the doctor's scalpel knowing even if you're not sure if you're going to make it or not you can know for sure you're going to go to heaven when you die listen folks this is deadly serious business I'm talking about here because Jesus I'm telling you I don't know when he's coming but he's coming he could come today and I'm telling you if you're lost 
if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Jesus comes, you will be left behind. That is a fact. To go through the awful tribulation period that's on this world. That will start after the church is raptured. And I'm telling you, you better think clearly and you better evaluate yourself. Where do you stand with God? Because you don't have a guarantee of the next minute. I don't either. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. I heard about somebody else that I know personally who died. And I'm telling you, the older I get, the more, the longer that list is getting. I, I, I can make a list of 30 names, I bet, of people that I know that have died in the past 10 years. And, and I was left wondering yesterday, am I next? <laughs> you have to wonder that. You know, you, you hear about all these people dying around you. And you have to wonder, am I next? And I might be. I don't know. Uh, last Thursday, after I made the podcast, you know what happened to me last Thursday? I made the podcast really early, and I had to go, I, and I had to leave my house, go to my grandson's play at the school. And um, I was with my daughter-in-law, and she was driving, and an 18-wheeler just passed us in a hurry, just about hit the front of our car. And uh, if my daughter-in-law had not put on her brakes, well, I can promise you, I, I wouldn't be here talking today to you. Uh, I'd be sitting with my sister and Jesus, <laughs> enjoying heaven right now. Uh, but, you know, God spared me. I'm just telling you, you don't know. And I'm going to tell you something else. The devil, listen, the devil will give you a hundred reasons why you shouldn't get saved. But listen, he'll give you a thousand reasons why you shouldn't get saved right now. Jesus could come today or you could die today. Either way, one of the two is going to happen. You better be ready. I urge you. And if you have a question about that, please say something to us about it and we'll try to help you with that. Okay? Okay, so we're not going to finish this chapter. We're, we're just not. This is a good place to stop. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to today. We'll pick up in Luke 8, starting in verse 19 on Thursday, okay? Father, I come and I pray for those that are listening today. Lord, I pray that you will help the lost church member to get saved. Help the lost deacon, the lost Sunday school teacher. Lord, that one who's been deceived, thinking they've done enough, help them to turn to Christ, even right now, trusting Him as a personal Savior, because you may come today. You may not, we don't know that you won't. Lord, help us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you, and I will see you on Thursday.